Okay, we left off uh, last week with uh, one of the most significant developments, certainly in church history, but one could easily argue world history. The world would never be the same after what happened last week to Saul. Um, And what happened is nothing short than a miracle. The great Saul of Tarsus, the great enemy of Jesus, became um, in a moment a follower of Jesus. And his conversion story has a strange detail, a dramatic detail, that we didn't focus on much last week, uh, where Saul was struck blind and then upon his baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, it says that, that something like scales fell from his eyes and he sees again. And this dramatic detail, of, of course, is um, it's a dramatization of what has happened to Saul, of Saul's rebirth into a new creation in Christ. That's, that's how he describes conversion. He's a new creation in Christ. And what this means is that when Saul regained his sight, he saw what he could not previously see. Saul studied under the uh, most legendary rabbi of his time. Rabbi Gamaliel. Under Gamaliel's instruction, Saul would have been trained in every word of the Old Testament scriptures, committing much, if not all of it, to memory. Simply put, he knew the Torah, our, our Old Testament scripture. He knew it inside and out, far more than anyone in this room knows it. And yet, in another sense, he didn't know it at all. How is that possible? Well, let me um, explain it with an illustration um, you may have heard me use recently on one of my podcasts, but I think it's a helpful way to explain what I'm getting at here. Uh, Suppose my wife, Abby, was a scientist. She was a botanist by trade, a a trained specialist in the biology of plants. Literally the last thing Abby would probably do with her life, but roll with the illustration. And suppose I bring home uh, some flowers for her. And she says, oh, thank you so much. These are amazing specimens that you've given me. I'm going to take them straight to the microscope. I'm going to examine them in detail. I'm going to see what um, biological discoveries there are for me here. And I say to her, Abby, what are you talking about? It's our anniversary. I gave you these flowers because I love you. You see... It's not about the biology of the plants. It's about my love for you. And in one sense, she knows everything about flowers. And in another sense, she knows nothing about flowers. Because she doesn't see the truer message, the truer meaning of the flowers. It's a good way to understand how the scribes and Pharisees missed Jesus. They knew everything there was to know about the law and the prophets. And yet, they were completely blind to the true meaning and message. And so when the very one who is the fulfillment, the amen of all the law and prophets arrives, they don't recognize him as such. So they knew everything, and yet they knew nothing. This is Saul of Tarsus, pre-Damascus Road. A trained expert in the law, 
a trained expert in everything that finds its meaning and fulfillment and purpose in Jesus, and yet missing Jesus. But then the scales fall off, right? The scales of his blindness fall off, and suddenly he gets it. Suddenly he sees what he did not see, though it was always right before him. Suddenly everything comes together for him. Everything he thought he knew now comes alive with its truest meaning. Look at the first few words of verse 20. They're interesting. And immediately, so right after his conversion last week, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus. That immediacy is interesting. After our passage, Saul's actually going to retreat for about three years and uh, do a lot of study, a lot of prayer, a lot of training. Um, Some theologians think a lot of visitation with the Lord Jesus himself. We don't really know what took place in that three years, but from that three years, we get the far more uh, developed and robust theology that we see in his writings. But in our passage, we see him immediately go to the synagogues and proclaim Jesus. How is it possible that a man who just met Jesus who literally just found out about Jesus and just was converted to Jesus, is ready to preach Jesus? The answer is that when he saw Jesus, he saw everything. His epiphany was Jesus. Jesus was the key that unlocked the truest meaning and message of all that he thought he knew previously. So what is it that he discovered in this Jesus epiphany on the Damascus Road? What is it about Jesus that changed everything for Saul and made his knowledge come alive with his truest meaning? It's found in his first sermon on Jesus, the first two things that he proclaims. And it's the two things in particular that we're going to look at. Jesus' Jesus' divinity and Jesus' victory. So we're going to look at essentially what Paul discovered is the identity of Jesus. Who is this guy? And the purpose of Jesus. What does this guy do? So Jesus' divinity, Jesus' victory. This is what we see in his little sermon here. Verse 20, the divinity. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. The first announcement from the transformed Saul for the world to hear is that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God. Now, that's a shocking claim in that day, a claim that um, just days prior Saul himself would have said is blasphemous, blasphemy of the highest order, and yet here he is proclaiming that very blasphemy. The term son of God is a very, very, very loaded term. It appears only here in Acts, but Paul uses it, if you're familiar with his epistles, Paul uses it very regularly. And for us to appreciate how monumental this uh, moment is, we have to understand the contextual meaning behind it. When we hear the term um, son of or daughter of someone, we tend to think of the offspring of someone, with the emphasis being upon uh, a a created individual who comes from another, right? Uh, And that's because we are very individualistic in our society, and we view the family as a collection of individuals. But in more historic familial cultures, certainly the Jewish culture, the emphasis is less about uh, the individual offspring and more about a status as a member of a family. 
So son of served as essentially the last name. So for example, if my family existed in this culture, um, my, my, Holt, my, my oldest son Holt would be referred to as Holt, son of Robert, which is essentially saying that Holt is a Cunningham. A Cunningham in the fullest sense, a Cunningham as I am Cunningham. Another example, this one from Scripture that makes the point, I think, even more clear when you get out of the family talk. Jesus calls Judas son of perdition. That doesn't mean that Judas was created, uh, born from perdition. It means that Judas is the essence of it, uh, identified with perdition. Judas and perdition are one. Okay, now return to Saul in our, our passage The first words of his proclamation are that Jesus is the son of God. His context would know exactly what he is announcing here. Not that Jesus was created as an offspring of God in that sense as a son, meaning like how Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses interpret it, but that Jesus is the manifestation of God, the essence of God. His his last name is God. Fully God, as Yahweh is God. The great epiphany awaiting Saul on the Damascus road was an epiphany of divinity. Jesus was not sent from God. Jesus is God. Saul viewed Jesus as a false prophet, but what he discovered is that Jesus wasn't even trying to be a prophet. Jesus was the Lord of the prophets. Jesus was the one that the prophets spoke on behalf of and spoke about. We take the divinity of Jesus for granted. But try to imagine this discovery from the perspective of Saul. Try to imagine what this would do to his conceptions and understanding of the scriptures, of God, of theology, of everything he had always believed. Think about Saul steeped in the sacred, exalted, monotheistic Jewish tradition with this conception of Yahweh as one who stands in unapproachable holiness at the center of the temple, as the one who declared through a flaming bush that I am who I am. That's who I am. I am. Meaning I am the absolute, fixed, no beginning, no end, eternal reality from which all reality finds its origin, its meaning, its purpose. And then imagine Saul discovering that Jesus of Nazareth is that divine son of God. The same in essence, as we said in our confession. Very God of very God, as the creed says, begotten, not made, before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, being of one substance with God, the God that Saul worshiped, equal in power and glory. Now, what this shocking discovery fully means in all of its implications and applications, Saul will later outline in his writings. And you can obviously read those for yourself. But this much he knows immediately. This much he knows enough to walk into a synagogue and announce, Jesus is Lord. The eternal Son of God has become the incarnate Son of Man. But why? Why did God choose to dwell among us in the flesh. Why not send a prophet rather than himself? 
Well, the Son of God came to do what only the Son of God could do. And this leads us to Paul's second epiphany here. Not just Jesus' divinity, but Jesus' victory. Now skip verse 21, we will come back to that. Look at verse 22. So they argue with him a little bit, and then it says in verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So the first announcement was that Jesus was the Son of God. His second announcement is that Jesus is the Christ. And just like Son of God is commonly misunderstood, so is Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus Christ is the title of Jesus. Um, it is often sh- shortened in Scripture, and, and certainly the way we speak, uh, is shortened to Jesus Christ, but its truer meaning is how, is how Saul states it here. Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus the Christ, just like Alexander the Great, is his title. So what does the title Christ mean? Christ means Messiah. So what Saul is saying here is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. So if Son of God speaks to Jesus and his identity, Messiah speaks to Jesus' mission. Now, unlike uh, the idea of Son of God in flesh, Saul actually definitely had a category for the Messiah in the flesh. In fact, the coming Messiah was the dominant hope of the Jewish faith. Uh, Throughout the generations, uh, God's people held on to promises like our Old Testament reading, the Messianic Psalm, held on to these promises that, yes, a Messiah figure will come who will make everything right by securing a decisive victory for God's people. Now, they were right to expect a Messianic victory. It's just that they misunderstood the nature of the victory. They expected a nationalistic, a political victory victory, one that fit into the conventional categories of worldly uh, strife and power. And this is why the Messiah was rejected by the very people who for so long were waiting his arrival. Centuries and centuries and centuries of waiting and pining after the Messiah, the Messiah comes and they reject him. Why? Because he didn't fit their expectations. His birth, his life, and most dramatically, his death was the antithesis of what they expected from the Messiah. So, of course, Saul of Tarsus was trying to eradicate this this spreading conviction that Jesus was the Christ. For how could the Messiah be defeated by Rome rather than conquer Rome, as they expected? Nothing about Jesus fit Saul's messianic expectations. That is until this epiphany that Jesus is the Son of God. If God himself has come as his own Messiah, then the Messiah's victory must be far greater than what Saul had expected. Not an earthly victory, but a heavenly victory. Not a temporal salvation, but an eternal salvation. And when you raise the bar of messianic victory that high to a heavenly victory, an eternal victory, when you raise the bar of messianic victory that high, well, only the Son of God himself can secure that victory. This greater victory of the Messiah they didn't see coming, it required three things. A life we cannot live, a death we cannot die, and a resurrection 
we cannot accomplish. Here's what I mean. Only the righteous son of God could live the righteous life required to be accepted by a righteous God. And the son of God did it and now offers us his righteous life as a gift of his grace. Only the eternal son of God could die an eternal atonement for sins that demand eternal judgment. And the son of God did it and now offers his eternal atonement death as a gift of his grace. And only the omnipotent son of God has the omnipotent power to rise from his own grave as the conqueror of our final and greatest enemy of the fall, the sting of death itself. And the son of God has done it and now offers his resurrection victory as a gift of his grace. And so when Saul realized that Jesus was the son of God, then Saul realized not just that Jesus was the Christ, but more so the kind of Christ he was and the kind of victory he came to accomplish. And so on that fateful day, Damascus Road, Saul has an epiphany, an epiphany of Jesus's divinity, an epiphany of Jesus's victory, and suddenly everything comes together and Saul understood for the first time what he had been studying his whole life. It all comes together. It all comes alive. The scales have fallen from Saul's eyes and things will never be the same. Now let's look at verse 21, which will lead us into our application. And so he's announcing that that Jesus is the Son of God. He's going to announce that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 21. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And and has he not come here for the same purpose, to, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Wait a minute. Isn't this the guy that was persecuting everybody in Jerusalem? Isn't this the guy who's trying to bring us to Jerusalem to be persecuted? And the answer, of course, is yes. That's exactly who he was, and that's exactly what he came there to do. That is until Jesus. Jesus changes everything. When you discover and behold Jesus in his divinity and victory, everything changes. And I want to press in on that for both those who do not see Jesus as such and those who do. To those who have not discovered Jesus as the Son of God and the Christ. I want you to know that at the end of the day, that is what Christianity offers in its most foundational form. What Saul proclaimed in that synagogue is still the foundational proclamation of Christianity. I want to go back to the, that illustration I opened with. I'll put it like this. You don't have to be a botanist to understand the meaning of the flower being offered to you. Does that make sense? You don't have to have all your questions answered. You don't have to have all your doubts settled. You don't have to have all of your uncertainties clarified. You don't have to have the myriad of potential hangups with Christianity resolved. You can simply just embrace Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is what is offered. I don't want to take your objections Lightly, I care about them. We care about them. We can have a conversation about Christian inconsistency and hypocrisy 
That's a big conversation, and I get it. We could talk about those who claim to follow Jesus who have harmed you. I know that's hard. We could talk about intellectual doubts. We can talk about confusion with Scripture, your resistance to the Christian ethic. We could talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'm just saying, please know, every time, my answer will ultimately end right back here with Jesus. He alone is our answer. He alone is our boast. He alone is our invitation. All I have to offer you is all that Saul had to offer that synagogue that day, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Christ. If you don't want that Jesus, you know, that's your choice. Just make sure that it's Jesus that you don't want. Now, to us who follow Jesus, uh, what, what this passage did for me this week, it was good for me. This is one of the weeks where sermon prep was good for the soul. What this passage did for me this week is offer a much-needed correction to return to my first love. Let me explain. Again, back to the illustration. We who were blown away and captured by the original beauty, love, and meaning of the flower offered to us tend to then become botanists. I certainly do. (laughs) We tend to get obsessed with the biology of the flower and forget the beauty of its original meaning. We tend to obsess over so many things while forgetting and neglecting the main thing which Saul discovered that day. So listen, you know me. I love theology. I love the study of Christian ethics. I love cultural engagement. I love apologetics. I love applying the Christian worldview to the issues of the day. I love talking politics and whatever else you want to talk about and how the Christian faith works out and all the nuances and all the stuff. If you know me, you know I love exploring the, the, the depths of the Christian faith and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. But what you need to know about me is that I constantly have to be brought back to the simplicity of the Christian faith because I have a tendency to forget Jesus while doing all this Jesus stuff. I have a proclivity to forget my first love. And I'm just going to assume that many of you can relate to that. Brothers and sisters, let us never forget that all we have is Jesus. We are nothing but those who have become convinced that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is the Christ, and we have chosen to follow him as such. What's obvious about Saul's writings is that he never got past the Damascus Road. Every issue he was facing, every issue the church was facing, heresy, persecution, immorality, you name it, whatever the early church was facing, every time in every situation, he just has a way to bring it back to the divinity and victory of Jesus. May it be so for us as well. I love the simplicity of our closing hymn that Stephen chose. A simple longing, a simple prayer, a simple plea for every single part of me to be reoriented again to Jesus. Friends, let's return to our first love today. Let's return again to the original and truest meaning of the gift that first captured our hearts. Let's return to Jesus, his divinity, and his victory. Because when it's all said and done, the end of our faith is found to be the very thing that began our faith in the first place. Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me pray for God's help. Lord, that we would see Jesus and see him fresh.
You have ordained the sacrament to bring us back every week to the simplicity of our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ shall come again. So proclaim it to our hearts because we need it. Bring us back to our first love. We love you, Jesus. Amen.